Well, good morning, church. We, oh, we can do better now. Good morning, church. Oh, man, what a day of worship we've already had. Thank you, Ryan, and musicians, singers, praise team. We thank you. This is a blessing to be here. Next Sunday, I'll do a sermon on Christmas from Philippians 2, the kenosis passage. Uh, you, you probably know the passage where uh, he, he did not consider, Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. Kenosis, uh, keno- oh, to empty himself. That, what, is, what happened in that downward mobility of Jesus, the sermon I entitled, Down is the New Up. So would you come back next Sunday as we do begin our Christmas teaching. Today, I'm going to do a message on how to take any conversation or any topic and turn it towards Jesus. Now, I'm doing that because I pray every day that the Lord bring you your pastor. And so I, I, I've got to slip this in because I'm praying the Lord bring you your pastor real soon. Now, if I didn't, if I knew when he's going to, I might do this in January, but would you let me slip it in between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Because this is a, a felt need as a state missionary, a state director of evangelism for uh, eight years. I, uh, I talked to pastors and I got to know pastors' concerns, fears, and uh, I knew as a pastor what church members feared, and it, it's, it's evangelism. But what we really fear is how to get into the conversation. How do we start the conversation? I have an empathy for you if you're afraid or if you're, most people are, if you're a little bit afraid of evangelism, well, let me tell you my story. I was, I met and married Lori at Fielder Road Baptist Church in Arlington. I've told you that. But uh, one Sunday, our pastor preached on evangelism. But this is what he said in his sermon. I'll never forget. He said, we're going to launch a new training called Evangelism Explosion. He said, now, all of you are signed up. You've all been signed up. If you want to get off the list, you just come forward at the invitation. (laughs) Isn't that great? I just love that. He was joking, and he told us he's joking, but he had us, you know. Then he said this, unless you're providentially hindered, that God says to you, don't do it, why don't you sign up? Or and I met and married, and we're really being developed and grown as Christians in this church and we went and did just that we prayed and God didn't give us any reason not to so we signed up this training involves three people the trainer and the trainees and my wife Lori and I were the two trainees and it came the day the Monday night to be my day my day that's what the trainer said today Scott is your day you know what that means don't you we're going to go to a house we're going to knock on the door we're going to get in the door and the trainer is going to say go man go with my presentation. So I thought I had the presentation down, but I was I got in the car and I am not exaggerating when I say all the way to the first house I prayed this prayer. Oh God, please let no one be home. <laughs> and you may be saying, "Well, how did you get from there to here?" I, by the grace of God. Amen. But I'm telling you I was terrified and we got to the first door and there was no light on. So I told the trainer, "There is no light on." He said, the doorbell light is on. And it was until he pushed it. Then it went out. And he let go. And then he started knocking on the door like he had heaven. And everybody in the house was going to hell. I was a little uncomfortable with all that. But we got in the door. And Janet had visited our church. She was there. Her kids were off to bed or or, or playing in the back room. And she, she gave us her undivided attention. And it came. The trainer said, Scott, he did the introductions and all the things he's supposed to do. He said, Scott, you have something you want to say. And I said, I do. Pretty good, right? I said, oh, yes. And so I went through the scriptures that describe Janet's uh, hope for eternal life, but separation from God because of her sin. And this this presentation is airtight. I mean, it's almost like you could end by saying these words. You know, do you want to accept Christ or are you just an absolute idiot? But you don't say that. What you actually say is, Janet, and I said, well, Janet, is there any reason you wouldn't receive this free gift of eternal life offered in Jesus Christ and she said no I can't think of any reason I said are you sure <laughs> Isn't that terrible that's what I said I tried to talk her out of it my trainer did the world's smallest Ronco fishing reel you know what he went you got one you got one my wife's looking at me like honey go you know and so I led her through an understanding of what she'd need to pray and then I led her to pray in her own words what she should pray and Janet accepted Christ right in that moment Right in that moment. Why am I telling you this? 
what was wrong or missing with me? What was wrong with that scenario? Why was I nervous? Why was I afraid? Was it because I didn't believe the Scripture? I was raised in an East Texas church where you don't just preach it, you thump it, baby. I mean, you believe the Bible from table of contents to maps, you know what I'm talking about? So I believe the Bible, and I still believe the Bible. Did I not believe the presentation would be effective? I'd seen my trainer lead people to Christ. What was missing? Anybody have a guess? I didn't believe God could use me. Now listen to me. If you're one of those folks, you know Jesus Christ, you have Him as your Savior and Lord, you're a child of God. If you die right now, you'd split heaven wide open. You know that. But you've never led someone to Christ. And you're just thinking that's for the person near me or that's for the preacher. That's for someone else that has that real bold, outgoing personality. Would you... Would you please give me a few minutes? This, this presentation is a 50-minute workshop that I've condensed to 49 minutes. Just kidding. Aren't you glad I convinced? No, I'm just, we're going to get going. We're going to get, as my dad would say, let's get on your horse. We're going to ride. But I'm going to take you through this. And what I want you to see is it's entirely possible that God wants to use you. In fact, it's probable. In fact, I would say it's absolutely certain that God wants to use you. That moment in my life was a before and after. I now know that it's not about me, as Ryan said. It's about God, and it's about His Word, and it's about Him just using broken vessels like you and me to share the good news. But how do we get into the conversation? The world has changed, and so a presentation is usually not as needed up front as a conversation. I'm going to explain that here in just a little bit. Would you go to slide 14, Mark? Why a conversation? Next slide. Now, 74.5% of all statistics are made up on the spot. Did you know that? I just made that up. These were not. I know it's 2007, but it would only be more exaggerated in 2016. These are the numbers I have. I've asked guys recently that are in statistics and and look at uh, demographics to say, is this still valid? They said, even more so. So, 72% of the people interviewed, lost, unchurched people, thought the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites. Let me stop just a moment and tell you what I'm talking about. Let's just say that right here is the cross. And I'm John. I grew up in Garrison, the Garrison area, near Nacogdoches. And, uh, it's 1958. And here's what I know. I know that I am a sinner separated from God. And here I am on this side, the lost side of this equation. But I can see the cross. I can see that the cross is over a chasm, a vast chasm, that is too big for me to jump across or run across or build a bridge across. I need to accept Christ. I know that I do, but I just haven't made that decision. All I lack is the decision to step over and make that decision. I just haven't done it. So let's say 1958, Nacogdoches County. The average person is somewhere right here. They know what the gospel means. They know the sin separates them from God. They know God is holy and he's righteous, but they just haven't made that decision. A lot of people really were right about here, okay? Now, I'm going to stretch this out for you. Would you walk with me as I stretch it out? So, when we see the word hypocrite, that's one of the reasons we can be confident that people in 2016 around this church, by the way, what number would you guess have no religious affiliation in Nacogdoches County, would you guess that it's 44 or would you guess more or less? Studies indicate that it's at least 44%, if not up to 50%, one out of every two people that live in your county have no religious affiliation. I'm describing at least half of your population. They think the church is full of hypocrites. 80% thought the church is more about organized religion than loving God and loving people. Now wait, what does that mean? Loving God and loving people. How do we know they, they think that about us? Well, the survey was worded that way. What do they mean by that? How can they know whether we love God? Well, they drop, drive by and they see our facilities and they see our parking lots and they know we're organized. We're organized week in, week out. We must have a budget. And they know we've got some organization, but what they don't think is that we love them. And if we don't love them, guess what? We know they don't love God. Are you with me? I mean, I'm telling you, people just think that way. If you love God, you love me. So, this is 8 out of 10 people in your community think that religion is something we do today. Had the babies dedicated, lined them up, did that go okay? 
But we, do we really love God? They don't think so. Why? Because we don't love them. So the hypocrisy issue, now I'm going to jump forward to the survey I want to bring up in a minute. The, the, better, the first part of that button is institutional. The second part is relational. The second button. 78% of those surveys said they'd be willing to listen to someone who wanted to talk about their Christian beliefs. Have a conversation. You hear that? Now look, if you're a millennial, then it rose to 89 Nine, hear me, nine out of ten millennials are saying, I may be farther from God and farther from the cross, but if you'd let me talk with you and you'd, let me li- and you'd listen to me, I would have a conversation. Now, another thing that, that we know, uh, just of the three things uh, as in apologetics, I'm just going to mention three biggies. One is the institution. They look at the institution of the church and say it's full of hypocrites. The second thing is, quickly, listen, they think that all roads lead to heaven. Pluralism. It's the technical word. Plural means many, many ways to God. And so they would say, this is in Nacogdoches County also, even in the deep East Texas, the buckle of the Bible belt, that, you know, just be sincere. Just be sincere. Just believe what you believe and be sincere about it. If you're Hindu, be sincere about that. If you're Muslim, whatever, be sincere. Because all roads lead to the same top of the mountain, pluralism. And so here I am. I'm John, and I'm in Nacogdoches 2016, towards the end of this year, and I am far from God, and I can see that there's a chasm, and there's something over it, but it's distorted. Distance distorts. Say that with me. Distance distorts. Say it again. Distance distorts, but we're not through. Uh, Also, I believe that there are no moral absolutes. It's called moral relativism, that really there's no absolute truth anymore. There's no body of knowledge outside of me called God's Holy Word that is over me. That's a book that I could maybe put beside what I think or what other people have written, or I could put it beneath me. It's just a flawed book. But to think that the Bible is over me and is God's Holy Word, that is largely missing. They believe that all truth is just relative or in the individual. If you think that's right, sir, that's fine. If you think that's right, ma'am, that's fine. I think this is right. We can all just get together and get along. The only moral absolute we see in these United States of America is what? Tolerance. Which is, by the way, and not the sermon for the day, entirely intolerant. If you want to meet some intolerant people, meet some people that believe tolerance is the good news. Because they're highly intolerant. But watch me. Here's why I'm telling you all this. Not to get into politics. But they are. Because they're looking and it's even farther. And we could say further and use both those rights. The distance distorts, but the distance in terms of my relationship to the church and that preaches the gospel and the Bible and small groups and you yourself, I can barely tell who you are. And distance distorts. Why am I telling you all this? Because the world has changed. And I need you to have a conversation with me. I need it for for it to be a process. Last week I told you about me coming to Christ in the moment I did, July 1976 at Latham Springs Baptist Encampment, God so spoke to me and came to me and, 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 and just powerfully moved me that I came to know Christ and I made that decision after he moved in my life. So I crossed over to, to the family of God's side. What I didn't tell you, what I did tell you towards the end of the message is how many steps away I was so that my sister Leanne, Mrs. Wilson, and Danny moved me. It was a conversation. It is a process. So, next slide, please. I want to talk to you about questions, but I have to move through these reasons, questions. Go ahead, slide, bump through them, at least one. It keeps the person engaged in searching for truth. When you ask questions, you're getting a conversation going. This is one-dimensional. In my workshops, then I do this, I have them talking, and I can't do that. We've got to move forward. But just to get people talking, when people engage and talk, you listen to them, and they're engaged, and they're searching for it. Next button, please. It brings to the surface a person's assumption. What do they believe before they believe? What do they think about truth? What do they think about God? What do they think about the cross? Find out what their assumptions are about eternal life. Next one. It encourages a person to wrestle with the issues. I want the person to know that God will wrestle with them. I'm going to be right there. And the Word of God never changes, and I've got it, and I would like to give you a copy of it. But let's wrestle with these issues together. Next slide. It evidences you care about the person. I have not evidenced I care about anybody here by preaching today. But if we have a conversation, we go to lunch and I listen to you, and we get to know each other, I'm evidence I care if I listen. Next slide. 
It helps minimize the unnecessary defensiveness. Reflects the heat. Dial down the temperature. Watch me for just a second. Have you ever had someone come at you and get in your face about what you believe? I have. I remember one that wasn't too long ago. Someone says, your God hates homosexuals. He was mad about it. Well, I asked him the question. I said, you know, you've given this a lot of thought. Before I talk to you about what I think the Bible says about this, why did you come? How did you come? What was your journey to this conclusion that the God of the Bible hates homosexuals? Now, look what I did. When he was in my face, he put me, so to speak, in, a, in a, an emotional oven. And then he closed the door and he set the dial up to about 150. And he sat outside the oven and watched me burn. Are you see what I'm saying? You ever had someone just put you in an oven and say, here's a tough question, Christian. And then they close the door and they turn the dial up real high, right? Well, when I asked the question, I opened the door and said, you want to get in here with me? See what I'm saying? Come on in here. You know what he did before he stepped in? He reached outside before he got in the oven. He set the dial down to a nice 78 cool degrees. Because you know what I'm saying? By asking you this question, and you're going to teach me or talk to me about why you believe this, we're going to be in the same bubble together. Would you learn the power of questions? It's not meaning you don't know the answer. It doesn't mean you don't have a journey and a destination. You don't have a map. But by asking questions, we can dial down the heat and get to the meat. Ooh, I like the way that sounds. Dial down the heat, get to the meat. Sounds like something good for this afternoon, right? Next button. And it helps you pinpoint the person's spiritual address. That's what I'm always thinking. Where is this person's spiritual address? I'm going to take you through L-I-F-E, an acronym I use to unpack 1 Corinthians 9. And I can talk faster, but not much, all right? I usually don't talk this fast, but let's saddle up and go, okay? Let's see. You have a little outline. And if this is too small for those of us who are old enough to need readers or help, there's one like this out in the foyer, in the foyer, all right? Out in the information desk. So if this is too small, just listen, stay with me, and on the way out, pick up a big one. Do not leave right now and go get one, or you will lose your salvation. <laughs> not true. That is not true. That is not true. We wish, but not true, okay? Just kidding. Just I preach humor, all right? Now, let's look at this outline. How do we start and guide the conversation? Next slide, please. First, we must listen and become an unconditional friend. We must listen and become an unconditional friend. Often when we announce we're going to talk about evangelism, what I have seen is that the quiet wallflowers, the non-speakers in the church always say, it's going to be a great day because this doesn't apply to me. This is going to be all for all the talkers, the extroverts, the people that like to stand up and speak. No, 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 no. If you're a quiet listener in today's world with John not being just here or here but way over there, then it's going to take a lot of listening to get John to know you care. Would you learn to listen and become an unconditional friend? Let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 9 and look at 19 and following. You see the passage printed in your notes. I, I, I'll just tell you, I believe this is Paul's recipe for how he did evangelism. The principles are here. I'm bringing you an application today that I use. If you can use it to your benefit, do so. But the principles are here. I believe that Paul was a listener. He said, verse 19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be... Uh, I'm sorry, that's, first, that's verse James 1.19. In verse 19 here, he says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. When I read Paul say, I've made myself a slave... I had to stop and say, what do you mean by slave? In relationships, who is the master and who is the servant? Who's the master and who's the servant? Well, would you not agree that the person who speaks and pours in or gives their opinion or gives information or even says ought to is the master? And the one that listens or receives is the servant. Paul said, I might surprise you to agree with James in James 1.19 where he says, everyone should be quick to talk and slow to listen and quick to become angry. Isn't that what he says in James 1.19? Is that not right? Did I say that wrong? Okay, I said that wrong, didn't I? When Paul's saying, I have become a servant, he's going to explore what that means in talking about Jews and those that are under the law and those that are not under the law, and even talking about the weak. He's saying to us, 
I walked into their world, and the only way I could find out what was important to them was to listen. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, right? A great verse on how to do evangelism. A great verse on how to do evangelism. You've got to learn to listen. Now, the word quick in James is the word from which we get taxi. It is the word taxus. How many of you have ever been in a taxi? Raise your hand real quick. Anybody ever been in a taxi? We went to see our son years ago in Bangkok, Thailand. At the airport, he put us in, and he didn't have a car. We just jumped into a taxi. And we went, by the way, the word taxus means to get from point A to point B as quickly and safely as possible. Do you hear that? The way to get from point A to point B as quickly and safely as possible. We got in that taxi, and we made it to his apartment. We used one of those rules. I, was, I didn't know how to say in Thai, choose a lane, any lane. Just choose a lane. They honk all the time. You know what honk means? I'm coming, I'm coming. Watch out, watch out, watch out. Man, I mean, it was the craziest, wildest ride in my life up to that point in time. Texas. It means to get there and to get there quickly, but safely. How do we get John from way over there to right here? And that's as far as we can go because, by God, that is God's domain. And I mean that way. By God's grace, that is his domain. I can't push them over the chasm. I can't drag them over the chasm. I can't make them accept Christ, but I can walk with him. How do we get John that way? James says we listen. We must start. This acronym could be L-L-L-L. Listen, 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 listen. I'm not copping out. I'm going to get to Romans 6.23 and share the most exciting news that's ever been shared. But I know that I've got to start with listening. It's like a bridge. There's a bridge between me and John if I'm going to talk to him about Christ. And that bridge has to be very stable with big pillars. When you're going to talk to someone about the gospel, think about how heavy the gospel is. This gospel, this gospel is a 10-ton gospel. And for me to walk over to John and tell him that I'm going to move him to the point where he's going to accept Christ, I've got to realize the gravity, the weight of that decision. Do you hear me? It's a big decision. This morning I was running late and shouldn't acknowledge that, admit that. I woke up thinking I was in Jewett and I was in Midlothian and I had an hour to make up. So I texted sweet Ann Williams, Anna Williams, and I said, would you announce the parents? That was certain sense. There was a weight to that, if you know Anna. I mean, I'm asking her to take a part of what I was supposed to do and do it. I was hoping that my bridge wouldn't cave in. You know what I'm talking about? So how was I? Did I have a strong enough relationship with Anna? I'm still alive, right? That's one request. What about asking John to look at the cross of Jesus Christ and to admit that he's a sinner, to recognize that there aren't many roads, <laughs> there's only one way, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that there's not moral absolutes, there is God's holy word, and it is not beneath me, besides me, it is over me, and it will stand forever and ever, amen? And that doesn't matter how many hypocrites there are in the church, what about you and your relationship to God? He's not a hypocrite. So that's a big, big weighty thing. So I've got to build a relationship. So what puts a bridge underneath them? Is it me talking or a bridge underneath it, or is it me listening? So, Karen, I'm going to pick on you a minute. And David, suppose I just wanted to go to lunch with you and, and your family. And all I do is talk like this for the whole hour. Am I ever going to get another lunch? Probably not, right? But what if I dig deeper in our relationship and I ask you questions and I find out more about you? And I don't talk a lot about me, but I find out about you. You think? And by the way, if I buy lunch, right? That's the kind of bridge I want to build with my lost friend. One that will sustain the kind of things we're going to talk about. And you do it by listening. Listening makes deposits. Listening builds a bridge. Talking at the wrong time can be just elaborate, lengthen the time. 
You've got to let the Holy Spirit guide you when you should share the gospel. But I'm just saying, in today's world, I can assume that most people have questions, and if I ask the right questions, they'll know. Now, in your bulletin, what is the, uh, you could maybe ask, what's the most important thing you tell me about yourself? I do that with waiters and waitresses when I'm wanting to get to know them. Uh, but, but what do you need to ask when you get to know someone? What are some questions? Uh, where are you from? Do you have any family? Where do you work? Right? Get to know them. Next slide. We're moving. We're moving. It's going to take a little time, but we're getting there. Now, we're going to drill deeper. <clears throat> I was raised um, on a ranch, as you know. and my, Well, really, I moved there when I was 11, and my dad introduced me to something when I was about 11 or 12. I want to describe it for you. You tell me what it is. I can't remember the name, I don't think. It had two wooden poles, and it, at the end, it had a, like a shovel or two shovels, and you'd take it, and you'd drive it into the ground, and then you'd spread it out, and you'd lift it up. You'd drive it in the ground, and you spread it. What is that thing? And that is the devil incarnate. That is the devil itself. I mean, when you're 12 years of age, that is the, it has horns, right? I mean, it goes to hell. I mean, that's where it's digging. I hated that thing. Hated, hated, hated. There were not enough gloves in the world. One day, Dad said, let's get in the truck. We go to Norma G. Tractor. He backs up with his truck, and he makes a transaction inside, and I'm standing around there going, Jesus, just come soon. I'm here at the tractor place. And Dad backs up, and he puts this thing on the back of the truck that looks like it has a giant corkscrew and some kind of transmission on the top. And he, we back up, and we put it on the International 656 and the, the three-point hitch and the power takeoff. And I want to tell you the sound it makes when you turn the power takeoff. I know I'm making a fool of myself, but that's what I thought it did. That is from God right there. That is the angels in heaven. The weight of the thing, the weight of the thing, it's just its magic. The weight of the thing causes it to go into the ground as it turns, and it'll break through that Texas hard pan. It's just, um, thank you, Jesus. for Thank you, Jesus. That's all i got to say. True praise, Ryan. I'm really praising the Lord here. This is what I'm about to say. We're about to go to the next level, and I'm telling you, it's, it's not that you have to force this thing. You just ask these questions, and I've used this, these questions time and time again and seen that just the force of the questions causes the auger to turn. And if you picture that the auger is the Word of God, your belief in sharing it and, and the opportunity to ask questions, it goes through their heart and opens up their heart. So I'm saying this to you seriously. If you don't like people, please just tune out for the next 15 minutes, okay? If you don't really like people, don't listen. Because what I'm about to share with you works, and people will open up. They've opened up to me time and time again. If you're one of those guys that says, I love mankind, I have people I can't stand, then don't listen, okay? You have my permission to tune out. He writes, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak I become all things to all people. By all possible means I might save some I lift up weak. In your notes, I have all of these things that are important to people. The Jew, being a Jew is very important to a Jew. Being under the law is very important to someone who lives daily under the law. Being outside the law is very important. But I mentioned one, the weak, and I lifted that one up for a reason. If I did a word association with you, those of you who know and studied Paul, how many of you, if I did a word association, I said Peter, and you said a word? If I said Paul, how many of you would say weak? Nobody, right? We actually think of Paul as strong and bold for the gospel, right? Paul said, you don't know me. I knew that when I was with someone, when weakness was important to them and they were just struggling, I was weak with them. I found out what was important to them, and I drilled there. And the reason I highlight weakness is because none of us would think, of Paul is weak, but he said, I knew how to become weak with weak people. So find out what's important to folks. And here's the question I'd like to use. This is the question I've used for years. I love using it. I want you to say it with me. I'm going to say it a couple times, then you'll say it with me. I hope your homework this week will be to try it with somebody. What's the most important thing that's ever happened to you? What's the most important thing that's ever happened to you? Say it with me. What's the most important thing that's ever happened to you? One more time. What's the most important thing that's ever happened to you? I've asked this across Texas to anybody I can ask. When I do a workshop, I have you turn towards each other and say, what's the second most important thing that ever happened to you? In a workshop, I hope that everyone is a believer, 
right? So what should be the most important thing that's ever happened to you, right? I accepted Christ as my Savior and Lord. He transformed me, forgave me, made me fit for heaven. I am His child, not because I said so, because His Word said so. When I die, I'm going to split heaven wide open, not because I'm good, because I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? Now, I probably say it more than that and wax eloquent on it, but if you're not saying something like that when you're thinking about the most important thing that ever to you, i got good news in just a few moments. I'll be up here at the front, or I'll wait till as long as it takes to talk to you about how you can come to know Jesus Christ. But I'm wanting that spiritual address, where John is. And so I'll say, what's the most important thing that ever happened to you? First time I heard this question, uh, Jimmy Kinnear taught it to me years ago. I had to use it, so I, I was going through the dry cleaners at Midlothian. I had a new person working at the dry cleaner, so I drove up, the little bell went off, and she came out, and she was fussing with her phone. She was working with her phone, she's looking at her phone, and, I, and, and, and her name is Amanda. I didn't know that at the time, and she, I said, what's wrong? And she said, they double-billed me on my cell phone, and I'm upset. I'm upset, she said. I mean, I'd never met her. This is her introduction. I said, well, can I ask you a question? Is there anything... Is there any drink that calms you down? Do not write that down. Do not write that down in your notes. Do not write that down. You know what she said? Miller Lite. I looked up through the windshield to heaven and said, God, I'm stupid, but I'm trying. And I looked at her and I said, can I ask my question a different way? Is there anything that Sonic sells that calms you down? I'm, I'm working, right? Right, buddy? I'm trying to get there. And so she said, I love me a cherry limeade. I love me a cherry limeade. It was in August. It was stinking hot. I just drove off. I mean, she's standing there. I just ding, ding. I just drove off. Went to Sonic, and I got one of those Route 111 or 66. What are they? What is it? Route 44. All I know is there's a pump on it to keep it circulating. That's how big the thing is. And I drove up, and I rolled the window all the way down. Boom. I said, well, there is your cherry limeade. And every time I went, I took her cherry limeade, and then my wife found out. So every time I went, I took her cherry limeade and took my wife a half and half diet coke. Amen, women. So I'm taking her. So she called, started calling me the cherry limeade dude. That's what she called me, cherry limeade dude. I don't know why she'd look on the computer. I was on the computer, but she just didn't call me. I preach her, Scott. She called me cherry limeade dude every time I brought her one. So one day, I walked up to her. I drove up, and I said, hey, I want to ask you a question. What's the most important thing that's ever happened to you? And she said, that's a good question. She said, cheer me, dude. <laughs> she said, last year I was a senior in Grand Prairie, and I was on a club league softball team. And she said, I was the catcher. And she said, the first game of the tournament on Friday afternoon, the, catch, the pitcher threw a high fastball, and she said, broke that finger. She made the noise, Broke that finger right there. First game. She said, I played the second game Friday with that broken finger. I'm wanting to ask questions like, did you wrap it? What did you do? But I knew I didn't, I'm not supposed to be mama or daddy. And I'm letting her tell her story. The most part they ever wrapped her. She said, Saturday morning I played and, and we won. We won Friday night and we won Friday evening, Friday afternoon, Friday evening. We won Saturday morning. And she kept going through this and, you know, making the noise. I'm like, oh, oh. And she, and she said, Saturday afternoon we won, Cherry Limeade, dude. And Sunday morning, now I stopped her and said, you're going to go to hell for not going to church on Sunday morning. Did I say that? No. She said, Sunday morning, we're in the tournament. We're in the championship, Cherry Limeade, dude. Every time I picture on fellow, boom, hits that hand. Oh. And Cherry Limeade, dude, we won the tournament. And I said, and you're going to burn in hell. I did not say that. In fact, I'm, for a minute, I'm going to be Amanda. I want you to say something nice about my story. I want you to say something that you could say that would make me know you care about me. That you know, maybe I'm not going to, to heaven, but this is what I know. The most important thing ever happened to me is I was a catcher with a broken finger and we won a game. Say something nice about me, a word. One word, somebody. What? Incredible. You're an incredible person, Amanda. What else? Anybody else? Brave. Anybody else? Strong. Anybody else? Dedicated. Anybody else? I said something like this. You got a lot of courage, and I wish you were on my team. That was kind of a you know, double entendre there. I wish you were on my team. Can you imagine Amanda, a follower of Jesus Christ, 
when the temperature was too hot or too cold. It's too hot in here. I think it needs to be 65 degrees. If you can't hang meat in here, it's not cold enough. But the temperature is not for me. It's not even a concern of mine. Can you play with pain? So I said that to Amanda. Now, now she starts talking to me as if I'm her father. Because she knows I care about the most important thing that ever happened to her. One day I drove up and said, how can I pray for your man? And she said, I need you to drive up front and come in. And she said, Scott, she called me by my name. I knew something was up. She said, Scott, I'm living with a man and he's not my husband. The Holy Spirit said, now you need to talk about Romans 6.23. L-I-F-E stops whenever the Holy Spirit says go. And I shared Romans 6.23 with her. Let's move forward. Uh, she moved away the next week and went to a dealership, and I don't know where she went. I, I prayed for her this morning because I knew I was going to tell her story. I wish I could tell you she accepted Christ. She came close, and she wa- I got to share the good news of Jesus Christ with her. By the way, did you know Roy Fish, professor of evangelism at Southwestern Seminary, said that on average a person hears the gospel seven times before they accept Christ? Look at me, seven times. I think I was number two. Maybe number one with Amanda. Are you okay with that? Because I am. My job is not to get them to step across. My job is to tell them the exciting good news. What about yours? I can tell you Amanda was way down there when I started talking to her. Now someone has taken up where I live. I prayed this morning, God may, I hope Amanda knows you. Now number three. These stories I could tell you so many, but we've got to move forward. Next slide. L-I, listen, important faith. Well, you see what he's talking about with faith here, but I'd like for you to look at, at the phrase you have where he says, I become all things to all people. I think that's critical. Uh, it's in your notes. But I want you to turn with me, please, and look at Acts. Acts chapter 6. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 17. Would you join with me in Acts 17? Did Paul understand the role of faith in people's lives? When he said, I become all things to all people, when he, when he tried to morph or stretch or, or reach or, or bend or however be flexible like Gumby to be like their, how did he do it? And we see an example of Acts 17 real quickly. We don't have a lot of time. So go with me to Acts 17. Let me show you in Athens. This is not Athens, Texas. In Athens, Greece, Verse 22 of Acts 17, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see in every way you're very religious. You have faith. The wrong faith. He didn't say that. For as I walked around and carefully, looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. I found out what you believe. I found a play way to connect with you. I'm going to reach to you as far as I can, and I see what you're saying here. The unknown God, you just know that of all these gods that are lined up here, there's something more and greater and deeper, and you feel that presence of an absence in your life. And I want to talk to you. So he says this. Now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. When Paul says, I've become all things to all people. We know that he had a method of listening, finding out what's important to them, and then moving over into their faith presuppositions. You're saying to me, if I'm working with a Hindu, I need to find out what they believe? Absolutely. It's going to be a wild ride with God. You're going to absolutely love. If I'm working with someone who's got a works-based salvation, you mean I've got to find out what they believe about how they're earning and climbing a ladder? My son lives in Salt Lake, my youngest son. And he's around people that literally are absolutely believe there's a ladder to heaven. He's got to walk in that and find out what they believe. And he's getting to know LDS people, Latter-day Saint people. And he cares about them, absolutely loves them. My oldest son is in Iraq and finds out what Muslims believe so he can find out a connection point. Just like Paul did in Acts 7. Can you be all things to all people so that you might win some? Faith. Now the the auger drill goes deeper and it breaks the hard pan. And we're going to talk about what people believe. Listen and find out what their faith presuppositions are. This next question I like, but it's, it's just uh, the previous question slightly changed. What's the most important thing God has ever done for you? Repeat with me. 
What's the most important thing God has ever done for you? One more time. What's the most important thing God has ever done for you? Now, you might think, this one's a little more personal, and I've asked these questions so many times. But because I'm asking questions, I've yet to have anybody get mad at me. On a flight between Dallas and Amarillo, I had one lady say, uh, she was a professor at A&M Canyon, and she said, that's kind of personal. I said, yes, ma'am. I'm sorry if I've invaded your privacy by asking. And I just got quiet. She said, but you've been kind. And it's a good question. And then, as an academician should, she said, you're asking a question. It's a good question. And I should be able to answer it. I said, you don't have to. She said, the truth is, I don't want to tell you the answer. Now, faith. How do you deal with people that have different viewpoints? How do you get into that and love them but not agree with what they believe? How do you love them but not agree with what they believe? Now listen, I was on a flight one time from El Paso to Dallas, putting together a conference in El Paso. This lady got on and she sat by me. Most people avoid me. I don't know what it is about me, but she sat right by me and she wanted to talk, so we're talking. And I'm doing, listen, important, I'm finding out what's important. I said, what's the most important thing that ever happened to you? Have you ever heard that question before? What's the most important thing that ever happened to you? And so she, she told me the birth of my children. Women will almost always say the birth of my children. Men will almost always say when I got a job. But anyway, that's just kind of the way, not always, but she said the birth of my children. I asked her about all three of the children. She, we were on a 15-minute flight, I wanted her to tell me, or an hour and 10-minute flight, I wanted to tell them everything she wanted to tell me about her children. But then she got wrapped up with telling about her children. I said this, what's the most important thing God has ever done for you? Listen to what she said. She got quiet, and she looked me up and down as only women can. What is it about women? There's a way to look at you. Oh, do I trust you? Women have some kind of another dimension. And so she looked me up and down, and I guess she deemed me trustworthy. She said, I've only told this to a few people, but those kids that I told you I loved, I'm flying to see them now. I got hooked on crack cocaine. And she said, I, I'm not proud of this, but my husband divorced me and moved the kids to Dallas. She lived in San Diego. She was, she was on that flight with me, and I was on that flight with her. And so she said, I had to go through the 12 steps of N.A. I said, why did you have to? She said, when you're in county jail, you have to do what they say. I got to the step, and she said, I chose the God of the Bible as my higher power. I said, that's good. And she said how she went through these steps, and she said now she works, and she lives with an older lady, and she cares for her to make a living, and she cleans two houses or three houses, and she makes enough money so that twice a year she can get on Southwest Airlines and fly to Dallas and see her kids. I said, you, you're not gonna, maybe you're not going to like what I said, but I'm, I'm glad I said it. I said, let me get this right. You know when you got on crack cocaine, you missed the mark. Sin is to miss the mark. She said, I did. I said, but then since then, you've trusted the God of the Bible. Yes. And now you scrape up enough money from cleaning the house and take care of an elderly lady to go see your kids once and sometimes hopefully twice a year. She goes, yes. I said, you know what? I want you to hear me. And I looked right at her. I just locked in on her like she locked in on me. And I said, you're now one of my heroes. Not, not because of the drugs. I said, you're one of my heroes because you have listened to the God of the Bible and you are now trying to be a great mom. She started misting over. You know, not bawling, but misting over. She said, nobody's ever called me a hero. I'm heading to Romans 6.23 with her. I'm going to talk to her about the separation that is between her and God. But I want you to know, because I loved her in, in all of her ugliness, she was willing to listen. You, you can reach into people and find out what is good there and connect to it like Paul did here in the, about the unknown God. Would you do that? Would you, would you find a connection point and keep moving? Now, the last one is, well, let, let's say that with, we already said that. Next, we said that together. Next slide, we're done. Next slide, please. Eternal life. Now, the auger goes all the way down. This is where I want to be. 
This is where I pray every morning God will let me get with somebody. By the way, my stories are kind of on flights because the last eight years I've been traveling a lot. But yet I have a family member who's a nephew. His birthday was yesterday and I called him. I've done an extended map or extended concentric circles of my extended family. And I've written everybody's name in the circles. My, my immediate family, their family, all the way out. And I've circled the ones that are saved. I know everyone who's made a profession of faith in my family out to my nieces and nephews. Do you? There is one that has not his, I won't name him, his birthday was yesterday. The hardest person I go L-I-F-E with is with my nephew. You know what I'm saying? The hardest person you get to share Christ with is someone that sees you all the time. Amen? I, I, I'm not talking about, I'm not telling you that every one of mine is a flight. My nephew, I use L-I-F-E to ask myself, have you kept yourself on track with him? I was listening to him, and then I asked him, I'll say his name is Bobby. i got to use a name. Bobby, what's the most important thing ever happened to you? He said, I went to Texas A&M University. Someone's got to whoop. Nobody's going to whoop? Okay, good. I could have said, I wish you'd gone to an accredited college, but I didn't. I said, tell me, the four years at A&M, what was it like? Man, we're walking around the tank dam, the pond around my dad's place, my mom's place. He's telling me all about the traditions and how he loved A&M. Man, I'm digging it. Tell me more. I said, Bobby, what's the most important thing God ever did for you? He said, he put me in this family. He said, there's something different about this family. Remember what I said last week? Different's good. Holy's good. Strange is good because we're strangers from a strange land. Amen? And he says, there's something strange about this family. I asked him to tell me what that was. And he said, y'all are all Christians. So I said this. What do you think God requires for a person to have eternal life? Say that with me. What do you think God requires for a person to have eternal life? Say it again. What do you think God requires for a person to have eternal life? One more time. What do you think God requires for a person to have eternal life? If, if we had time, I'd ask you to think what's the most important word in that. It's got to be God. You take the word God out, doesn't he make sense? But the second most important word has got to be the word require. Did you know God has a requirement? Not everybody goes. Not everybody that's sincere goes to heaven. Not everybody that's close to the gospel goes to heaven. Not everybody that's religious goes to heaven. You know, it's, it's not just what you think. It's God has a requirement. And I want my, I almost called him by his name, I want Bobby to know what God requires. I said, Bobby, what do you think God requires for eternal life? He said, I've always wanted to know. I was uh, in East, I was in uh, this side of the Mississippi River in Louisiana. Anybody from Louisiana here? I was in Louisiana doing a tra training conference in evangelism. Uh, I was at an Oxbow Lake. They put me up, and I was walking around Oxbow Lake with this Bible. I'm walking around Oxbow Lake having my quiet time in the morning with my Bible in hand. You know what usually a Bible means to people? Avoid that person. Right? So I'm having my quiet time, and John, I'm walking around the Oxbow Lake. It's beautiful, giving thanks to God. Come back around this cul-de-sac, and this guy comes out to his mailbox in the morning, and he says, hi. Hi. He says, my name is John. I wanted to know more about him. I said, what's the most important thing ever happened to you? He said, the, the birth of my children, the birth, birth of my grandchildren, I think he said. I said, what's the most important thing God ever did for you? He said, he, he created this world. We started talking about creation. I'm going to go quickly through this about 10-minute conversation we had. I said, John, what do you think God requires for a person to have eternal life? I know I didn't have much time because his truck was running in the driveway. He said... My uncle's a preacher. Every family has one, right? So he said, my uncle's a preacher. And he says, you got to go to church to go to heaven. I, wouldn't that be great? This place would be packed. Sorry, I preach humor again. I had my Bible open to somewhere like John 13. And I flipped back to John 1, 12, and I turned it around and he read it. I said, would you read this? He said, but the first time he's ever read this verse, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become a child of God. I flipped over to Romans 6.23, and I said, would you read this? For the first time in his life, he read Romans 6.23. 
the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I said, same thing about going to church in there? He said, no. Right then. Right then his wife walked out the door and said, John. Now, I don't know if your wife has a voice. My wife has a voice. And right when he said John, he went and marched to the truck. And I'm walking off going, man, I had one. I had one. So I told the pastor about it. pastor called me not long ago and said, i got to tell you the story about John. I said, it was at an elder deacon. I mean, who was that in the church? He said, remember the guy you sicked me on at the mailbox? I said, yeah, John, what happened? He said, he died. I said, well, well I'm glad you told me to tell me that. He said, no, you got to hear the story. I started going, and I used the same verses you did, and I had him read them. But you know where he was going that day that, that he had to rush off? He was going to the oncologist. He found out that day that he had a fast-growing pancreatic cancer and had weeks, if months, to live. I started going. They put him in hospice at home. I started going and having him read from my Bible the verses that you had him read. And then he went into hospice and hospice ward, and I went and read it. And I said, John, today you want to see Christ? He said, I'm not ready today. He said, Scott, I just did his funeral last week, and I want to tell you two weeks before he died, right before he was just really not able to say a word, I read those verses to him because he couldn't read them. I just read them to him one more time. I said, John, today? He said, Pastor, today. I just, Scott, I just wanted you to know, you sowed, but I got to harvest. I think of the seven conversations you need to have with someone to come to know Christ, I got to be number one with John, and I'm okay with that. Are you? Would you consider striking a conversation here and moving along a proven pathway of asking questions, and when the time comes, share your testimony, use Romans 6.23. But I'm here to say this morning, I know this has been long, it's been a long time together, but do you know him? Have you ever put your faith in him? And if you have, would you stop saying no for yourself? God is saying, yes, you can have a conversation. And I've told you how I would do it. And I'd be glad to meet with you afterwards and tell you more. And to help you on this journey of moving from not me, I couldn't do it, to yes, I can do it. God's done it through me. Let's pray. Dear loving Father, this has been a a teaching time. And they've been so good. It's been long. I know it has. Thank you for the attentiveness of this church. But, Father, I pray that you'd help those that are kind of saying, not me, could never be me. I pray they'd stop saying no to the exciting joy that comes in telling others about you. It's so much fun. And it's scary at times. We'll just be honest with you. When we take our eyes off you, it's, it's just terrifying. But, Father, you are the evangelist. We are your servants. You're working in hearts and lives all over Nacogdoches County. I pray that you'll use us to share the good news. Father, if there's someone here today, they're listening, going, all this talk about the good news and going across this chasm and knowing Christ and, and, and the wages of sin, and I don't get that. Pray, Father, if someone's just realizing they don't have it, they don't have you, today they will. They'll make that decision. I'd love to talk with them, but you talk to them right now. You talk to them right now because you love them. And we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's just respond to God. Whatever he says, let's say yes.